It's Wednesday, the 20th of March, 2019, and once again, it's Cove the Weird broadcasting from the bunker on www.bighitsradio.uk, and it's great to be back. Anyway, um, we're doing a, a belated, um, slightly St. Patrick's-themed uh, show tonight. I know it's slightly past St. Patrick's Day, but... Um, Hey, we're close enough. Uh, we're talking about the, the Great Leprechaun um, Invasion in Liverpool in 1964. Um, 1964, it was all happening in Liverpool. The Beatles returned to the city on the 10th of July for the premiere of their first film, A Hard Day's Night. 150,000 people lined the streets to greet them. But a less well-known fact is that a few days earlier, thousands of children and curious adults went hunting for leprechauns in a Liverpool park. This incident is of interest because of the rapid spread of the rumour and because it appears that the rumour was restricted to school children and it was especially strong amongst pupils of uh, local Roman Catholic schools. According to the Liverpool Daily Post dated 2nd of July 1964, the leprechauns were first seen on the night of Tuesday the 30th of June. Nobody knew how the rumour started but one nine-year-old boy told the Post reporter Don McKinley that last night I saw a little man in white hats throwing stones and mud at each other on the bowling green. Honest mister, I did. The centre of this leprechaun activity was the bowling green in Jubilee Park in the Kensington Edge Lane District. And the second night of the scare, 1st of July, the bowling green was so crowded that the police had to clear the park and guard it from the marauding leprechaun hunters who were prone to tear up plants and turf in their search for little creatures. However, bewildered Irish Park Constable James Nolan, who had to wear a crash helmet to protect himself from the children's stone throwing, told the reporter that this all started on Tuesday. Hi, I just don't know, but the sooner it ends, the better. Stones have been thrown on the bowling green, and for the second night running, no one has been able to play. The kids just won't go away. Some swear they've seen leprechauns. The story has gone round, and now we're besieged with leprechaun hunters. Such was the violence of their search. The police had to set up a temporary first aid shelter to treat at least a dozen children who suffered from cuts and bruises. The Liverpool Echo and Evening Express for the 2nd of July 1964 described the strange visitors as little green men in white hats throwing stones and tiny clods of earth at one another. The little green man part of the story was possibly inspired by the testimony of a Crosby woman who said that on the 1st of July she had seen strange objects glistening in the sky whizzing over the River Mersey to the city from the RC. This apparently explained how the leprechauns managed to emigrate from Old Ireland, though it was more than likely a tongue-in-cheek addition by the editorial staff in order to make a neat story. This supposition is supported by the fact that no exact date nor any information about the witness was given, and the local paper for the Crosby district did not report anything of this nature to its readers. The 26th of January 1982 edition of the Leprechaun Echo carried a report of a man called Brian Jones who claimed he was responsible for the scare when he started to tidy his grandfather's garden in Edge Lane, which backed onto the park. He wore some uh, clothes suitable for gardening, which comprised a red waistcoat, a pair of navy blue trousers, Wellington boots, a denim shirt and a woolen hat with a red bubble on it. As he sucked on his pipe, no doubt reflecting upon his sartorial elegance, he saw some children sitting on the 10 foot high wall uh, which separated the garden from the park. He heard one of the children say, it's a leprechaun. 
Realising that his short stature, emphasised by the height of his grandfather's weeds, and his extraordinary clothing gave the children this impression, he decided to capitalise on their deluded perception. So he claims that I bounded it into view, babbling made up words, I jumped up and down, picked up turfs and threw them at the children. Not surprisingly, the children ran away in a blind panic. The next evening he was again in the grandfather's garden when he heard the noise of a crowd in the adjacent park. Looking over the wall he saw 300 children on top of a covered reservoir, which gave him a good view of the bowling ground. On seeing him, they shouted, there he is, there's the leprechaun. However, the children remained where they were, so for the next hour, Bran entertained them by angrily shaking his fist at them and tossing tarps into the air. Afterwards, he changed his clothes and visited the park to find out the reaction to his leprechaun impersonation. There, he found children boasting that they had seen two leprechauns, although some had to top us by saying they had seen six or more. The next day on a Saturday, crowds of children and adults went to the house in Edge Lane in search of the little people. Despite the efforts of the police, the crowds did not disperse until after 11 o'clock at night. In the next two weeks, children raided the garden in their search for the little people, causing damage to a shed and the garden itself. Things came to a head when Bran overheard two boys saying that they planned to shoot the leprechauns with an air rifle and deposit the bodies in jam yards to prove to their teachers that the story was not a figment of their imaginations. At this juncture, Bran decided that something had to be done. Uh, so for three evenings, he put on his leprechaun act in the garden of an empty house, six doors, um, six doors down from his grandfather's home. This did the trick so effectively that within a couple of months, the city council had to demolish the house because of the devastation caused by leprechaun hunters. Is uh, Brian's uh, blood confession then the solution to the great Liverpool leprechaun panic? Uh, more than a brief glance at his statements will show that he simply makes matters more complicated rather than clearing them up. His story is full of contradictions and errors when compared with the contemporary press reports. For a start, Brian claims that the leprechauns were first seen on Thursday and Friday, and that on the Saturday crowds gathered near his grandfather's home. Yet the press tells us that the creatures were first seen on Tuesday the 30th of June. Perhaps with the passage of time, he just forgot the correct days and dates of the sightings, and just remembered the dates of the newspaper reports. It seems odd that the newspaper descriptions of the leprechauns do not tie with Mr Jones's description of his elegant outfit. None of the children noticed his red waistcoat, the red bobble on his hat, his navy trousers or his denim shirt. The ten foot high wall is of interest too. Uh, it cannot have been the most simple thing in the world to climb either for the children or particularly for Mr Jones considering his short height and Wellington boots. It's also difficult to understand why the children on the second day did not approach the wall in large numbers and scaled in order to catch the leprechaun. The children of Liverpool are not normally that shy. Uh, furthermore, all the children's records speak specifically of leprechauns in Jubilee Park and Bowling Green. There's no mention of any sightings in private gardens and many of the children said they saw more than one creature. A search for the two Liverpool Daily newspapers for the period covering July, August and September did not reveal any more reports of leprechauns seen in the neighbourhood of Jubilee Park and no mention of the rather newsworthy event of a house being demolished through the depredations of their hunters. Uh, for these reasons, it's suspected that Brian Jones might be mistaken in his belief that he was responsible for starting this panic. Perhaps after 20 years, two separate events have become confused. No sooner had the Liverpool rumours subsided than a similar scare erupted several miles to the northeast of the city in the local town of Kirkby. 
The Curbay Reporter on the 17th of July 1964 featured the following story under the headline Little Folk and Flying Saucers. Flying saucers and leprechauns came to Kirby last week, at least according to the local children. What the connection was, the children were not quite sure, but scores of excited youngsters invited the reporter offices on Friday, eager to tell they had both seen these things. A strange object in the sky was changed the colour of its lights from red to silver and was moving slowly at first, then very fast, was their description of the flying saucer. The flying saucer faction vied with the leprechaun group for colourful descriptions. About inches high with red and green tunics and knee breeches. Thus the little people were described and of course they spoke with a strong Irish brogue. So yes, a very strange story of a, a fortean nature. Was it mass hysteria or was it leprechauns or was it aliens? Um, who knows, was it fallen angels maybe? This is an interesting thing. Um, have it, was this creature that had sort of entered from another dimension perhaps? interesting but once again time is against us time is against us so we'll have to just uh, wind this episode to call the weird up and uh, all the best stay well and uh, keep it weird if you enjoyed this podcast you might like the Andy and Lynn show podcast available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio just search for Andy and Lynn or tune in live every Saturday to BigHitsRadio.uk